If we really want to have an impact on the world, if we're really serious about sharing the gospel and people coming to know Christ, what do we have to do? We have to take a look at our own lives. And we have to see of our own need for the gospel. And by doing that, it will attract far more people than you could ever imagine. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Join me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, we are here to worship. We are here to learn. We are here to be changed. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> we continue this morning our study in the book of Romans. And we are now at Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. I will begin reading with Romans 2, verse 1, New International Version. I believe it's on page 1748 in your pew Bible. You, therefore, have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. And now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are in the middle of something that I'm sure none of us want to think about. And I don't like preaching it, but it is the Word of God, and I do believe that we need it. But I want to make a promise, and that is if you will stick with me for the next few minutes, that there is going to be a special promise at the end, something that you can take home that brings joy in your Christian experience. But in order to make sense of what we have read in chapter 2, I must go back and uh, look and spend some time explaining Paul's purpose for writing the book of Romans. And then I must also look at the context of chapter 2 as well. Now, if you're around First Presbyterian Church very much, you will often hear us talking about the mission of the church. And in the discussions about the mission of the church, uh, you will find out that we define the mission of church something like this. The mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel to the entire world. 
That's what we believe. That is our mission. But what if someone were to come to you this morning and ask, what is this gospel that you talk so much about? And why is it so important? I believe we can say that if the purpose of the, of the church is to preach the gospel and we don't have a clear idea of what the gospel is, it's safe to say that we're going to miss our purpose and mission. So enter the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. I see in this book Paul answering three questions. The first question is, why do we need the gospel? The second is, what is the gospel? And in the third part of the book, he deals with the question, what are the practical implications of the gospel to all of life? Well, Paul introduces the gospel to us in chapter 1, verse 17, when he says that the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, what I believe Paul is saying is this, that in order to be a child of God, in order to go to heaven and be accepted by Him, that you not only need to be forgiven of your sins, but you and I are required to be perfectly righteous. That is, we must be perfect in the sight of God and His holy law. Now, it certainly raises the question, why do I have to be perfectly righteous? And the answer is because God's standard is perfection. And so what Paul is saying in these, in these chapters is this. We lack the very thing that we need to get to heaven. We lack a righteousness. And this is his purpose in Romans chapter 1 and 2. Paul is answering the question, why do we need the gospel? And the answer is a tough one. We need the gospel because the wrath of God rests upon all who are unrighteous. None of us enjoy hearing this any more than I enjoy preaching it. But you see, here Paul goes on to explain what he's talking about in the book of Romans, in, in Romans chapter 1. And here in chapter 1, he is addressing the Gentiles. The Gentiles are the pagan world, the world that does not profess faith. And Paul has, as we learned last week, some pretty negative things to say here. He says about the world in general that they, they do know God. They know God because they see Him in creation. But what do they do with that knowledge? They press, suppress the truth by following idols. Verse 25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the created thing rather than the Creator. And then he goes on to talk about how they engage in perverse sexual activities. Verse 27. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
They have become filled with every kind of evil wickedness, greed, and depravity. I give you, ladies and gentlemen, human nature at its worst. And here's the kicker. There's nothing we can do to change it. Now, I'm willing to admit as much as anybody here, this comes across as unduly negative. And if you're here this morning and you may be an unbeliever, you may be thinking, you know, this sounds awful. Who in the world would want to believe any such as this? Well, I can assure you that we don't, we don't believe it and we don't preach it because we like it. We preach it because it's true. You know, it's been said that the doctrine of sin is the most empirically verified doctrine of the Christian faith. All you got to do is look around you, folks. It's the way the world is. And so, in chapter 1, verse 17, when Paul says that the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God, and that righteousness is ours by faith, well, that's the best possible news that we could hear. The good news is that we can be righteous. But that's a sermon for another day. So now in chapter 2, Paul turns his attention away from the Gentiles and now to the Jews. And I want you to imagine the Jews who are listening as this letter is being read to them. Everything up to this point that Paul had said, they would agree with with a loud, hearty amen. Paul, you have a great understanding of the Gentile world, and what you say is right on target. Those outside the faith are indeed a miserable lot. But then, in horror and dismay, they read the next paragraph. You, therefore, have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. So Paul says to the Jew, you ignore the truth the truth of your spiritual condition, just like the Gentiles ignore theirs. In pointing a finger at them, you're pointing a finger right back at yourself. And so what Paul says to the Jews as the people of God applies to us as Christians as well. We talk about the sexual perversion in the world, but we have it too. We talk about the greed and selfishness in the unbelieving world. We have it too. We talk about the idolatry that is out there, and we have things that lie hidden in our closets as well. So I believe that Paul brings us to this understanding. If we are going to escape the judgment of God, there's three things that we need to know, and the first is this. We cannot ignore the certainty of God's judgment. In her book, uh, Hope Has Its Reasons, Rebecca Manley Pippert tells this story. She, has, she had a friend that was an alcoholic and was finishing up recovery and was doing quite well. 
And they were conversing about his journey in alcoholism. And he said, you know, I was very fortunate because God brought to me some very, very special people. People that uh, prayed for me and understood me. Some people who walked with me through this dark spiritual path to help bring me out on the other side. And Pippert said, wow, that sounds exciting. I'd like to know about that church. Tell me about it. And he said, oh, no, it wasn't the church. It was Alcoholic Anonymous. You see, when I went to the church, the message was fairly firm and clear. Come back. We love you. We care for you, but come back when you get your act together. And what I think we can see in this passage is that the reality of God's judgment smashes our own religious complacency. It forces our eyes to, the Ill, to be open to the illusion that we are better than others, that we're okay but they're not, that God's law and justice and, and wrath applies to them but not to us. But what I hope that we can also see is this, that in forsaking that kind of judgmentalism and understanding our need for God's grace, we will find there our salvation. We hear story after story of the fall of evangelical leaders, strong men and women of faith, often engaging in the very practices that they are preaching against. Christians also fall victim to the same addictions of those outside the faith, addictions to drugs and, and sex and alcohol. It's not a pretty picture. And what it calls us to do is to confess before the world and to confess before each other that the rot is in us too. Now, I believe that this truth is not only good for us, but it speaks to our mission as a church. For if the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to have an impact on the world, we are going to have to deal with this issue. We have to look at our own track record. And what do we see? Will we see that we have no room to be judgmental? And you see, the world is not going to listen when we give our spiel about idolatry, when we talk about all the sexual immorality, as long as we're pointing the finger at them and not dealing with our own issues. If we really want to have an impact on the world, if we're really serious about sharing the gospel and people coming to know Christ, what do we have to do? We have to take a look at our own lives. And we have to see of our own need for the gospel. And by doing that, it will attract far more people than you could ever imagine. We cannot ignore the certainty of God's judgment. Secondly, we cannot, in, we cannot ignore the purpose of God's goodness. We find it there in verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, what I think Paul is doing here is pulling the rug out from the notion that says, <clears throat> if everything around me is okay, then I must be okay. This is often the way we think, isn't it? If the winds of, of blessing and prosperity and health 
are blowing gently around me, it must be because God himself is on my side. He surely must be looking down on me with great fondness and approval. I love the sound of music. And uh, in one place there, a special song that I really love, there, there Maria and the captain are just discovering how much they love one another. And they're standing there looking in, uh, into one another's eyes and realizing the power of this love. And the second stanza of that song that they sing together, it goes like this. For here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. I love that. So it's a great love song, isn't it? But look a little deeper, and you'll see the hint of something else. Since I feel so wonderfully in love, I must be okay. And brothers and sisters, I believe that such thinking, as innocent as it might sound, ignores the real purpose for the goodness of God. For the goodness of God is not given to us to allow us to live in complacency. Its purpose is to draw us to a deeper understanding of the God of mercy and grace and help us to see our need for Him. For when we experience God's goodness, it should give us a clearer understanding of who we are. It should move us to turn from our own religious self-assurance, our pride and complacency, our judgmentalism, and seek the God of goodness and grace and mercy. And so if you're here this morning and you're enjoying the goodness of God in your life, and I hope that you are, look at it as a wonderful opportunity to draw closer to Him and to thank Him for His work in your life. We must not ignore the certainty of God's judgment, the purpose of His goodness, and finally, we must not ignore the impartiality of God's law. Look with me at verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and those who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, for the Jew and for the Gentile, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, for the first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Now, I must tell you that there have been several interpretations of this passage. Uh, one interpretation says that the passage teaches that it is our human works that play a part in our salvation. That eternal life will be given to those who seek honor and glory and immortality. 
And there will be wrath for everyone who is self-seeking and follows evil. Now, I want to say, if this is what Paul is saying, if Paul is saying that we gain eternal life by our own works, then he has just contradicted the very purpose for why he's writing the book. For the theme of the book of Romans is that we cannot get to heaven by what we do. We need the righteousness of God. Let me see if I can explain by looking at the passage exactly what Paul is saying. Notice that Paul talks about two different groups of people. The first group is those who do good deeds. And Paul says, to those who do good deeds, they are going to inherit eternal life. The second group, he says, are those who do evil. And what awaits those who do evil is wrath and judgment. Now my question is this. Who is it that does good? Who is it that fits in this first category? The entire purpose for why Paul is writing the book of Romans is to tell us there's none that fit that category. There is none of us. We are all, we all lack the righteousness that we need. And so the point here is not be good and go to heaven. The point is that the law of God is impartial. There is not one law for the Gentiles and one for the Jews. There's not one set of standards for lay people and another for ministers. There's not one set of requirements for believers and another set of requirements for unbelievers. God is impartial and judgment is going to be the same across the board. So you see, Paul is perfectly consistent in this passage with what he's teaching in other places. The point is... We don't have a righteousness of our own, therefore we have no ground for being judgmental. Now when I say that we have no ground for being judgmental, I did not say that we have no ground and room for making judgments. Let me explain. You'll often hear people say something like this. You know, any time that you say that a certain lifestyle is wrong or a certain habit is bad or a certain worldview is sinful and wrong. That's being judgmental. And they point to passages like this. Or they may point to passages where Jesus says, do not judge, as proof that it is wrong to make value judgments. But I ask you, what has Paul just done? He has called some things right and some things wrong. He is making all kinds of value judgments on behavior, and he writes as one that's inspired by God. But is Paul being judgmental? No. We are all called on to make value judgments. We are all called to know and believe the difference between what's right and wrong. We do it every day. We must do it. But you see, judgmentalism is different. Judgmentalism is an attitude. It's an attitude of pointing a finger in condemnation. One writer called it 
the attitude of moral one-upmanship. It's the belief that you're all wrong and I'm all right. I look out into uh, the world with a sense of moral superiority. I say that I am better because I don't do what you do and I don't believe what you believe and I don't live the way that you live. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Paul calls us away from that to see and know and understand that we too need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I made a promise when we began this message that if you'd stick with me that there would be something here that you could take home that would bring happiness and joy to your life. Well, I want to say it's this. If you and I acknowledge our own sin and we turn from that sin to Christ, we have the promise. And the promise is that there is mercy and there is grace for all who do. In seeing your own sin and in turning to Christ, you will never have to worry one iota about the judgment that he describes in these verses. The promise is that you and I can live in total freedom. Freedom without a shed of fear of what we will face after death. That's the promise. And for us to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul outlines in this wonderful book, we need to know why this gospel is so important. And it's important because you and I do not have the righteousness that will get us in. And in days and weeks ahead, we're going to find more about that righteousness. We're going to discover how it's given to us and the power that it has in our lives. But brothers and sisters, I can't make this passage nice. I can't skirt what God has said here. And I can't make it sound better than it is. But I can promise you this. If we face the truth and we embrace the reality of our need of the gospel, there's grace and peace to follow. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for the wonderful ministry of your word that teaches us the truth even in times when it hurts. Lord, we ask that you would take the words and prepare our hearts for the, the true understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, prick our hearts and mold us into uh, people who would not be pointing the finger at others and speaking out of a sense of our own self-righteousness, but one also, Lord, that is dealing with our own issues and confessing our own sins before you. We thank you for that grace that awaits all who come to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. 
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Are you interested in membership or just want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church? If so, we invite you to attend First Look, a series of three Sunday morning classes held in the church parlor. Please call or email Chuck Emery for more details.